0: Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Hey, I have some questions for you. Do you know what it takes to go from a legacy software solution and transform that into a SaaS product? And what are the complexities and the challenges that go along with that? And also, how do you overcome objections? How do you handle those objections? We're going to talk about all of that and more today. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my special guest today, Jonathan Bald. Jonathan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Happy to have you here. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Jonathan. He is a sharp cat. He works with RSA. He's the regional vice president of enterprise software sales for Canada and the eastern US. RSA is a company that detects and responds to advanced attacks. It manages user access control and reduces business risk, fraud, and cyber crime. He's also part of the Revenue Collective and formerly is a senior managing director of enterprise software sales for Hitachi. So this guy understands high-level, big-time sales. So once again, Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Absolutely. So tell me what's been going on with you guys lately at RSA and what's coming up?
1: Yeah, no, of course. Um, so lately Matt, you know, I've moved into a leadership role like you mentioned that's really a cross-border responsibility across Canada and the eastern US districts for RSA. And um, you know, it's an incredibly exciting new organization that is redefining its own business DNA, right? So bringing those changes to you know, the high growth market of cybersecurity. That's phenomenal. How did you get involved with this company? So there were some changes going on at my existing organization, which really led me to look externally at new challenges and opportunities. And I ended up reconnecting with a career mentor of mine, right? And, you know, as we, you know, were were talking and and catching up, you know, he had recently moved into a CRO role at RSA and had laid out, you know, this transformational journey that they were about to embark on, right? And let me rewind a little bit here. So while that was going on, about a year ago this time, RSA was actually spun out of Dell, right? So Dell is a large computing hardware giant, right? Mm-hmm. And RSA would now become its own standalone company again. So you have RSA which is about a 40-year-old cybersecurity technology company born out of MIT, right? And it's based out of Bedford, Mass. So arguably, you know, the reputation that follows RSA is it's really this gold standard in cybersecurity software. And so in 2006, they were acquired by EMC, and then EMC was acquired by Dell in 2016. So you have this very sort of unique situation where you have a discrete business, RSA, that has been operating sort of under this management and oversight, you know, from these large organizations that has now been spun out after 15 years of that, and is now essentially a standalone, completely autonomous organization that has full control over its own destiny, right? right? So essentially, RSA is like a 40-year-old startup going through this monumental SaaS transformation,
0: That's amazing. And I want to jump into that in just a sec. But first, you did mention something right there at the beginning that I kind of caught. You had a mentor that got you into this. So I want to understand because I highly value mentor relationships. So how important is that to you, Jonathan, to have mentor or multiple mentors help you and guide you through your career and what you're doing?
1: I mean, Matt, it's critical. And I'm I'm sure you can attest to this. And you know, I think most people... They come to the assumption of like, okay, I have one career mentor, but the important thing to know is you can have multiple mentors for multiple facets of your life, right? Personally, professionally, you know, you can have uh, specific role mentors, uh, you can have leadership mentors, and they really act as like a pseudo life coach, but also a sounding board, you know, for any challenges and obstacles you may be, you know, encountering in your day-to-day. But I think the key factor to a mentor is they're not your direct boss, Right Because mm-hmm. then you maintain sort of that arms length relationship um, where they're they're not having to sort of manage you on a day to day basis, but they can provide advice and guidance you know to in, in certain situations. So mentors are critical, right? Everyone has been in certain situations at some point in time. You're not encountering these new challenges you know for the first time, right? So someone's been through it, someone's done it before, how can you leverage that experience to? you know improve the way you handle those challenges or obstacles right so leverage your knowledge leverage your network career mentors can be incredibly powerful
0: i completely agree and career mentors but also mentors if for what you're doing right now so some people have sales mentors some people have a mentor to kind of help them understand their personal life so whatever you're doing i fully believe in mentors and i agree i have multiple mentors myself So, I love hearing that from you. It sounds like it's been a really positive thing getting you into RSA.
1: It has, it has. And when we reconnected, you know, so through that discussion that we had after, let's say, not talking for about seven or eight months or a year, even, you know, we both realized that there was a new opportunity, you know, to work together and drive real impactful change in this new RSA. You know, he was moving into that CRO role and he was really looking for leaders to help him redefine, you know, the company from the ground up. I mean, we're talking a new go to market, new product and pricing, packaging, organizational structure, I mean everything.
0: That's awesome. I love it. So let's yeah. talk about that cuz I want to understand RSA was a legacy solution, the old on-premise deal, everything. And you guys made the decision to make that switch from that old on-premise legacy type thing and move it over to a SaaS product. So talk to me about what were the reasons behind making that decision and that change
1: sure you know of course and as you would imagine customers were at the center of all of this so let me baseline quickly a little bit so before saas you know customers traditionally would buy software with a one one time large licensing fee and they would have to then deploy that software on their own infrastructure that was on mm-hmm. premise within their own real estate environment so that means they had to provide the hardware and computing resources and would be fully responsible for managing and maintaining that environment. That means, first of all, having the real estate for the server infrastructure, right? Providing the power, the pooling, the hardware the software runs on, and it needs to be in some sort of data center type of environment. And on top of that, you need all the human resources to sort of manage that footprint as well. So, in addition to that sort of one-time, upfront, large license. You would then have to pay an annual maintenance fee, and that maintenance fee would allow you to contact the vendor for support tickets if something went wrong with the software. You know, it provided you with upgrades and patches, and um, you know, it really was this sort of very complex and lengthy consumption model that wasn't very flexible and agile. Um, you know, really to support the velocity of change at which our business environment, you know, operates at. Right. So you can almost feel, you know, the, the molasses, right? Like as you, as you think about this process, just slowing you down, you know, throughout this buying process, but also throughout operating the technology in and of itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You guys have plenty of molasses up there in Canada, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm glad you talked about all that because when I got into SaaS in the mid 2000s, we were the first one in our industry to be a SaaS product. Everyone else, there were 30 competitors at the time, right. were an on-premise legacy solution. And at first, our market was very leery about it. Obviously, SaaS was new. People were worried about this whole cloud thing. Is my data safe? And how what right. if I don't have internet? Can I access it? All of that was what we had to face. Before we even had to sell them on the product, we had to sell them on the, the format. Now, what we did was we learned exactly how to educate the market against the old way, the legacy on-premise, and to let them know, hey, what if there needs to be an upgrade? Well, you've already bought the thing, so now you have to pay for an upgrade. What if somebody upgraded on your team and somebody else didn't, and now you've got different versions running? So what if they come out with a whole new thing and it's not forward-compatible? You have to buy the product again. So we would go deep on education around the pros and cons of the different types of, of solutions. So I love it that you guys made this change because I know that it's difficult. So what would you say have been some of the biggest challenges you faced as you've been making this huge shift, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, no, Matt, I mean critical. I think the main two functions that really drove this change and you called them out was really, you know, customer desire. Right. So customers' buying behaviors changed. And You know, we're in right now, you know, what's defined as the subscription economy, right? So as individuals, consumers, right, as retail buyers, you and I every day, you know, we expect, you know, to buy through certain channels, right? We expect to be able to sign up for products and services on demand, um, and we expect no contractual commitment, and we expect all that to be delivered instantaneously, And because we expect that through our regular day-to-day personal lives, we've taken that expectation to our professional lives as well. And as we act as business buyers representing the companies we work for, we now have those same expectations from the partners and the technologies that we consume in the B2B space. So that, I think, is really, that was the big monumental shift of everyone getting on board and saying, listen, our customers want X. And we are delivering why. We need to get better aligned with how our products are priced, packaged, consumed, contracted. And obviously, all this affects the sales cycle for enterprise software sales, right? So it's sort of been redefined initially by companies like your, you know, that you worked for, Matt, in the in the past that were the first to market. And then other big giants like you know, Salesforce, Microsoft, that were really sort of the first movers to that SaaS space. So really you know at the end of the day to meet sort of this market demand and this trend you know RSA took like a, you know a hard look at its business once it was you know stood up as as its own entity and realized it needed to redefine everything right within its organization and everything down to you know such a simple concept of do we have the back end processes to even support subscription based billing right never mind the product but after the product is sold, the new, the new SaaS software, can we actually support that with our back-end system? So we're doing it all.
0: That's awesome. Good for you guys for making that shift. And I, I remember back then, the other competitors kind of laughed at us like, what is that? That's ridiculous. And then a few years later, as we started taking over the market, they started to try and figure out how they are going to educate and how they are going to try and counter. And then it got more and more, You know, the, the scales tipped a bit more and more. And eventually, they realized, uh-oh we're in trouble unless we make a decision. So I'm really happy that you guys were able to make that shift. Speaking of shift, let's talk a little bit about, because I know that you are an expert in sales. And before we wrap up on time, I want to make sure I get some of that knowledge that you've got. So let's talk about objections and objection handling. And I know you've worked with your team on this a lot. Talk to me about what do you think are some of the the keys to successfully handling objections in your eyes?
1: Yeah, so how we came to... Uh, really knowing that objection handling is where we want it to focus is when you think about redefining uh, messaging product pricing that you're bringing to market, you know, the biggest challenge that that we're encountering is really educating the market about balancing sort of this 40-year-old reputation that has like deep, deep roots in, in customer minds, analysts, partners, and balancing that with our new messaging. Uh, you know, our new agile organization that's going to be delivering you know leading edge SaaS-based cybersecurity software. So mm-hmm. our whole business model has been overhauled, and really managing that messaging to customers comes with some major challenges because with change comes questions and objections. So customers really want to know, hey, why are you t- on taking on this change? How is it going to affect me? Is it going to affect my cost base? Is it going to affect management of this software? How does that really work into their organizational strategy in the long run? Right. Yeah. And you know, so they have genuine concerns or objections you know, about all these changes. And it's the artful way of handling those objections, which will really help determine how successful you are in re-educating the market and your success at you know, product uptake as you deploy those, those new consumption models. So I'd love to you know, dive into some of these sort of objection handling techniques.
0: Yeah. How do you train your team on all of this? How do you get them to understand and be able to do it effectively?
1: Yeah. So there, there really are some best practices around objection handling, right? And it's important to note that objections are genuine concerns, right? The customer has. They're buying signals, right? So you have to intimately understand what those objections are and don't always take them at face value. Right. So, Mm. you know, a customer may not actually know the root cause of their own objection. And it's really that discovery process that, you know, the sales professional has with the prospect that really creates an intimate relationship when you guys discover the root cause of that objection together. Right. So I've broken this out into sort of three, you know, main steps. You know, number one, it's all about the objection discovery, right? Thoughtful questioning combined with active listening. And I just want to spend a minute on active listening because in today's digital world, I mean, we got pop-ups, emails, social media, distracting us while we're trying to conduct business over the digital channels. And active listening is really the artful skill of quieting that voice in your head and really listening to what the customer is saying. And then paraphrasing in your own words, what the customer just said to validate that you understand the objection correctly. And not only is this important for your own understanding of the objection, but it's also important for the customer to feel that you understand what they are actually communicating, right? So first, objection discovery, that's broken up into thoughtful questioning, active listening. Before
0: you... I know you're on a roll. I want to dive into that because I love that. I think you did it really well and the way you architected that. So in terms of objection discovery, that's something that I work with my clients on. On the mindset, the philosophy of it, because a lot of times people come to me and they're, you know, if they don't have a lot of sales experience and they say that they're trying to avoid objections. But what I say is you want those objections to come out. So you need to learn what their objections are because the worst thing is, is that they hold them in and then they leave and they never sign up. So it's up to you to draw those objections out, whether they know them now or not, because they might realize them, like you said, down the road. You need to understand what they are now and what they could be so that you can squash them, right? If you can get those objections out, then you can sell to those and you can educate them on why the objections are not valid or why they should overcome those objections. So I love that. Objection discovery is key.
1: Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, Matt, right? It's about the genuine curiosity that you have as a sales professional in your client's business, how it operates, the challenges they have. And um Exactly like you said, it's about the discovery process. If you don't get that right, if you don't handle those objections up front, they're either going to rear their ugly head at the end of the sales cycle, you know, when you, you should have handled all the objections already, or they're not going to bring them forth at all, which means you're actually going to lose the deal to a competitor that's handling those objections up front.
0: Yep. And that's worst of all. So cool. So that's number one.
1: Yeah. So number two is then the art of really handling the objection itself. Right. So there's two pieces, as I see to this one. Right. So the objection validation, which is essentially just paraphrasing the objection in your own words back to the customer. Right. So once you understand the objection, you state it back to them. And this exercise actually helps the customer understand that you, you understand them, which is a very important, intimate connection that you have with customers. And a great rule of thumb is basically when a customer states an objection, you just simply reply, what else? Right? And you just dig deeper, that second, that third, that fourth level, so that you're getting to that that root cause.
0: I love it. That's one of the facets of the perfect deal process. There are 40 things that we've put into the perfect deal process to make sure you can sell software really well. And one of those things within the discovery facet is dig deeper. So don't just take surface level stuff. You've got to get down and figure out where exactly are the situations, are the challenges, are the issues, and get deep on that pain and those objections. I love it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Intimate knowledge, genuine curiosity. So for the objection validation, once you know that, it's really hard for a sales professional to hold back With a knee-jerk reaction and provide a solution right out of the gate. You know, you really want to avoid that. What you want to do instead is you want to work on a reframe, right? So after you validate the objection in your own words, now you're actually reframing that objection into a need, right? So, oh, Mr. Customer, you need X. Is that valid? So I, I can walk you through, you know, a quick example, right? So a customer, Matt, you may say, you know, implementing new software in our environment is too disruptive right now. Right. That's a valid objection, right? They're worried about complexity in their environment. The sales rep may respond with something, Mr. customer, that's a valid concern. It seems like you're worried about complexity, right? I'm posing the question back to you in my own words. And the customer, right? right, May come back and say something like, yes, I'm worried about complexity. Next quarter would be a better time to revisit this project, right? That's a red flag. We're looking as sales professionals at velocity. We're driven yeah. quarterly so how can i reframe this and bring this back so the sales rep could answer that statement something along the lines of hey mr customer sounds like you need to see a demonstrated implementation success plan in complex environment similar to your own right so you're reframing the objection as a need they validate that you understand the need and then you deliver you know a solution right after you understand that That reframe. So it really is this artful, sort of strategic, almost scientific way to not only, you know, dig deep on the objection or concern itself, and then validating that with an action plan or a prescribed next step for the customer.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a great way to do it. Well said.
1: So after you reframe, right, you you resolve the objection immediately or not, and you have to, you know, position or prescribe a next step, you know, it's all about, you know, the resolution proposal and agreeing upon that, what I call joint execution plan, right? And the joint execution plan is just an agreed upon timeline of actions that you're working with the customer to complete as part Mm -hmm. of every sales cycle. I'm sure that's part of your process as well.
0: Absolutely is, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a must. Well that is awesome. That's a sweet Amazing and simple way to kind of follow the steps. I love that one, two, three, just to make sure that you can successfully handle objections. It sounds like that's been working for you for quite a while.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's not something that I invented myself, you know, going through 10 or 12 different corporate sales training programs, some of the best in the world and and some of the worst, right? And picking the components out that really stood out and then bringing that together into a very simple process. I'm sure you found the same way working for different software companies yourself.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. My processes, my frameworks are all developed out of other stuff I've seen that works, that doesn't work, and kind of picking out exactly the pieces that I found work great within software, and that's kind of where my process is developed is how do we sell software at scale, how do we increase close rates, how do we decrease sales cycles, increase average revenue? So I, I love it. And this has been amazing, Jonathan. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I Have really enjoyed hearing how you set up the process and a really simple framework for objections. I've also loved hearing about your shift that RSA has made getting into be a SaaS product. So this has all been great stuff. How shall our audience learn more about you and what you're doing at RSA?
1: Yeah, I mean LinkedIn's my main channel of communication. You know, my professional communication channel, so they can find me there. If the audience wants to know more about this sort of objectioning objection handling technique in detail you know, they can, you know, find resources that I've posted online through my profile. So, you know, they can find me there and feel free to reach out. You know, it's always happy to collaborate and discuss anything that they may be encountering in terms of challenges and and obstacles within their own, you know, SaaS environments or within their own organizations.
0: Perfect. And we'll put your link to your LinkedIn profile within the show notes. And then also here down below, if you're watching the video. So wherever you are, you'll be able to catch Jonathan and get in touch with him. This has been awesome, Jonathan. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: It's been a pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. Would love to come back and you know check back in six, eight months time and give you an update again on how the transformation is being rolled out. And uh, you know, again, it's been a pleasure.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it for sure. So, uh, thank you and everybody else watching and listening. Thank you very much for listening. Keep in mind, make sure you're subscribing. Once you hit subscribe, you're going to get actionable, quick tips to help you and your business scale. You're going to hear all about different ways of doing it, different philosophies from our guests that come on the show every week. We've got outstanding creators and innovators every single week. Hit that subscribe button so that you can make sure not to miss a thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening
0: to Sastry in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.